On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we are joined by Fox's Joel Klatt to talk some college football. Joel will be on the call with Gus Johnson for the OUK State game, so we preview that game and also talk some Big 12 with him. We dive into a little more local college football news by taking a quick look at Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and the National College Football Roundup. We discuss the games that won't be played this weekend and a few of the games that will be played that interest us the most. We give you our winners and losers of the week, and we wet the beak with Thursday night football between the Dolphins and Jaguars. To finish up, we discuss the new ordinance in Norman that has people big mad in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Thursday, September 24th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, and First Fidelity Bank will be picking one of you to be the winner of the Oklahoma City Energy FC prize pack. We'll let you know next episode who the winner was. We don't know. We don't know. It's exciting, but we'll announce that next episode. FFB is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts couldn't be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night, and we have Joel Klatt, the one, the only, Ted. We've got the face of Fox, bud, on this episode, talking OU, K-State, but a lot more OU. We thought we were going to get him to talk about it at K-State. Not so fast. He wanted to talk Sooners football. Well, that's good, too. I mean, there, there's plenty to talk about. And, you know, you, you go uh, uh, run the gamut. You know, what's the se- total season going to look like? What do you think of the, you know, the new quarterback for Lincoln Riley? Uh, you know, what, what's this defense have to do to be a, a national title type of uh, competitor? So I, I thought it was great. All around really good stuff. Yeah, before we get into the local college football uh, news and our interview with Joel, I do uh, – I have some bragging to do. And I don't do this often. I don't do this often. So it is well documented that I am not a handy guy. Like, it's not that I I can't do it. I just don't. I just pay someone to do it. Like, I, it it doesn't bother me. Like, you don't want to fix that yourself? I'm like, no, not really. I just, I got this guy. He'll fix it for me. (laughs) I I give him a couple dollars. Like, I got got a guy, guy. you know? But 
the wife and I, we, we got bored. We got a little bored last night and she was like, Hey, it's going to start getting cold. What do you think about a patio heater? Now at our Ooh. new house, we built these real tall, like overhangs on the patio. So like hanging heaters from the ceiling didn't make much sense to us. We didn't think it would look very good. So we put a fireplace outside, which is badass. It looks cool, but it's not going to heat the whole patio. And my wife wants to sit in a bunch of different areas and all these things. She was like, what do you think about a patio heater? So we got crazy. The Ikers drove to Home Depot, bought, bought a patio heater, and then I assembled it like hey, a did, man. Did the blow yourself up with the propane tank? Hook the propane tank up myself. Now, I will say this. There were a couple little tough spots where I had to have my wife hold the other side of the screw <laughs> to get, get some things going, get some torque going, you know what I'm saying? So she, she had a strong assist in this process. But hooked the propane tank up, hit the on switch, Fired up first time, Ted. Manliest thing I've done in years. Wow. Was, was your wife all hot and bothered after you did that? Or she, she was like, to, my God, look wow. at this rugged man I'm married to. <laughs> Amazing. I'm proud of you, dude. That's a huge step. Now, let me ask you this. After you did that, and the feeling of stepping back and saying, what a job well done. And sitting under that heater, from now on, you're going to say, I did that. I yeah. put that heater together. Yeah, is, it's gonna is, is be this awesome. something new for you? Is this hell something no? <laughs> Absolutely not. But that heater, I've got the one thing now because uh, I don't even I don't even try to pretend. If I can't fix it with a hammer, a screwdriver, or some duct tape, I call my guy. I got my guy, Charles Cash. He's my guy. Like he's my go-to guy. Shout out to Charles. He's the man. But. Don't I tell felt, anyone about your guy. You need to keep him. They can't yourself. have my guy. He's he's my <laughs> guy. But no, he's a lot of people's guy. He's the man. But um, yeah, I felt very accomplished and very manly. And I don't I, I don't feel that sense of accomplishment very often because I don't do that type of stuff. But it was pretty good, man. I won't uh, lie. It felt pretty good. Did you probably sat under that heater with the bourbon? Oh, I turned it just, on and I was like, and it wasn't even that cold last night. And I turned it on and I just sat under it and I like sat under it till I started sweating just so I could feel the sweat because I was a big (laughs) man. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, Ted, let's get to the local college football news, and that's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly or manly as hell like me (laughs) and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. But maybe not at the house with more than twenty-five people. We'll get that. We'll get to that in keeping it local. Will and Wiley is made in Oklahoma, and it's absolutely delicious. It is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. Okay, few bits of OU news before we get to Joel Klatt, Jaden Hazelwood. Got some Jaden Hazelwood news and. He must have he must have similar healing ligaments to Theo Howard because Lincoln Riley comes out and says he's progressing really quickly. Uh, said they expect him to play at some point this year. That's huge because before that injury, he was the one guy that the guys on that staff were like, "Hey, this is the guy that can be the next CD Lamb. 
Like this is the guy that can be the next go-to wide receiver at OU. And I know I already have all my Marvin Mims stock. Like I know I already have, have really attached myself to the Mims wagon. But getting Jason, Jaden Hazelwood back would be huge. Yeah, the problem with Hazelwood is uh, you're supposed to buy low, sell high, Gabe, and you cannot buy low on Hazelwood. Everyone no. is Stop. dying to wait, wait to see this guy out there. So, man, it's fantastic. And it really is a testament to the technology and how good they've become at, at some of this stuff. And you're seeing guys come back from injuries – uh, major injuries, Achilles, uh, all kinds of things quicker than ever. I had a I had a Liz Frank fracture in my foot in 2005, Thanksgiving of 2005, and they weren't sure if I was ever going to play again. And uh, before that year, it was almost a death sentence for football. Now you see guys come back like it's nothing. So uh, it's it's really a, a testament to how good you know the technology is. And if you listen to what coach Riley's been saying about Hazelwood he's been locked in he's focused he's working his tail off in the rehab he's locked in and focused in meetings and out there getting mental reps on the field so that's exciting yeah and, and I've gone through an ACL rehab and I will say this that tells me a lot about what Jaden Hazelwood is doing because you do get out what you put into it I was a firm believer. Like, I rehabbed like a madman. Now, I was not as talented as Jaden Hazelwood, but that tells me this dude's putting the work in, which is exciting because you get a guy with that amount of talent, with that kind of work ethic. Whew. What's the squat thing that goes up and down like this in a circle that you have oh, to stay the, on? Oh, yeah. The, gosh, the thing. <laughs> I, I don't remember what it's called, but your legs are burning. It's horrible. Burning. Um, one other thing, it made a, made a lot of noise kind of on social media. I don't understand why he said it multiple times, but yeah, this just in. Lincoln Riley doesn't think players should get suspended for smoking weed. Uh, he thinks you should you know, help the kids, support the kids. And I don't know why people were so surprised by that. And also, he doesn't like the dead period being extended through December 31st because now no kids can come on campus, which I know they're doing really well with the virtual – tours uh and the virtual visits stuff like that but still you you wish your guys could come see the stadium at least at the very least and i know i don't think caleb williams is going to be organizing any more summits so uh a little disappointing you think lincoln has his marijuana card i hope he does <laughs> dude hey college college football being a head coach that's a stressful job my man that's needs right. to unwind that's right no, I, th I thought that was really interesting. It, you know, and I agree with a, a lot of what he says, you know, um, is, is the rule archaic and outdated? Yeah, I mean, for, for people that think there's, there's no problem uh, smoking marijuana, and a lot of states obviously have adopted that, still illegal federally, so there's that. You know, I think the NFL, Major League Baseball, I don't believe Gabe tests for it anymore, right? No. Uh, NFL really changed their threshold of what constitutes a positive test for marijuana. So it's, it's way more difficult now to pop a positive test for, for marijuana. And I think, I mean, a year or two, that's going to be gone in the NFL. So, and it, 
college football, that's probably going to be the case as well. Now, here's where I disagree a little bit. Because, you know, it is a, a, an archaic rule and it's legal here locally, but you knew what the rule was whenever you smoked it. And you knew that you were going to be tested whenever you smoked uh, it. So Yeah, it, it doesn't change the fact that those kids are idiots for failing the drug test right. at the Peach Bowl. Like, you know it's coming. And the staff told them over and over and over it was coming. Yeah, that was stupid. And they're, right. you know, they're paying the price for breaking the rules that are in place. I'm with you there. Now, I think the rules should go away, personally. I'm not and a I weed guy, but it, I, I think it – yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I agree. So, oh, Well, that's enough weed talk uh, for now. <laughs> so uh, here's Joel Klatt. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the most well-respected voices in all of college football. He is the face of Fox Sports college football coverage, and he is the sole reason – that I own about 15 pairs of Roan commuter pants. Joel Klatt is in the house. What's up, man? What's going on? Hey, they're good, man. I like shoot. They they're good to travel in. I love it. That's a, hey, I the face of uh, of of Fox. How about that? Nice, Gabe. I, I, I know. Well, it's true, I, right? I, I mean, that's it. that that's not an overstatement. That's true. It's true. I agree. I'll take it. I'll take it, and and let's hope that uh, said face gets to have his face on television come Saturday. Every week right now, I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping we get to Saturday and have a game. Yeah, we're we're with you, Joel, and you know Joel will be on the call. Of course, you'll be on the call for OU Kansas State with your man Gus Johnson. But before we dive into that game, Joel, how difficult? Has it been for you and Gus to keep having these games you're supposed to call? You put in a ton of preparation. How difficult has it been for those games? Like you put all that work in and then it, they just get canceled, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say the least. Um, I, it's frustrating. But at the same time, I, I kind of expected it was going to go this way this year. And so I've just tried to be open-minded and, and positive and, and adjust every single week. So, for example – you know, I have I have done two charts this week, just in case we've got to switch to the Texas game. You know, I'm I'm kind of ready for that, for that one as well. It's about you know two times the work, but it's going to pay off in the long run when when we get a late switch and I'm prepared to do that game. But um, you know, to to say I was disappointed for those players last week is an understatement. You know, they everyone has worked so hard and and everybody is trying to do their absolute best to stay healthy and keep themselves out of the positive realm. And, and yet, you know, uh, one positive here or there can decimate an entire position group because of contact tracing, which basically happened with Baylor. So it, it kind of is what it is. And, and I keep telling everybody in particular within our, our building at Fox is, you know, you can't take anything personal this year. And, and to be honest with you, you really can't get frustrated with anything. You just have to take every single thing that happens at face value and move on. What do we need to get? Okay. What do we need to do? Okay. What do we need to do? Okay. What do we need to do? And I think that mindset has helped out a lot because last week, trust me, I was at the brink when I'm driving from Waco back to Dallas and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm about to just like, I flew here. Now I'm just going to fly home, but it is what it is. I mean, that's why I say this all the time. That's why I would suck 
as a, a football coach because I would not be able to say, okay, we can't play. What do we need to do to move on? Let's start preparing for next week. If I had 20 guys who were sitting there um, out for the game and none of them were sick, uh, it was all just contact tracing, and the guy that is sick doesn't even have a fever or can't even tell that he's sick, I would lose my absolute mind, Joel. I would, I would explode. So I know these coaches yeah, have to I be mean, going through some of that. <laughs> I will tell you this. Like, they'll all put on the good face in the interviews, and I'm trying to do the same <clears throat> with you guys right now. But trust me, I got a phone call from Dana you know, 20 minutes after we got the announcement last week and we walked out of the Baylor building. I was in the Baylor building about ready to meet with Coach Aranda. We got the news from the AD Mac Rhodes. And before I was even in the car, Dana was calling me, Coach Holgerson, and he was pissed. And rightly so, right? You know, like, I, you know, people were asking me like, well, you know, do you think he should show that emotion to you? And I'm like, well, first of all, that's Dana. Second of all, yeah. Right. Like, I mean, he wanted his players to play. He told me several times before that game last week, one of the reasons that they took the game in the first place was he he felt nervous about whether they would lose the team from from a discipline standpoint, not not a, in a nefarious way, but from a, um, a a virus discipline standpoint, if they didn't have a game and the accountability of a game. Right. Like you're asking these college kids to do something very unnatural for them. 18 to 22 year olds guys socialize a lot in close proximity. And you're asking them to basically be hermits in kind of their formative years. And <laughs> that's tough, man. It takes a lot of discipline and, and a lot of uh, that discipline has to be peer monitored. And, um, you know, so these teams that are trying their very best when they get this news, it's a punch in the gut. And a lot of these coaches are nervous that they'll lose some of these guys um, if it keeps going in this direction. Now, Joel, we're, we're going to remain optimistic. We are going to pretend that you are going to call a game on Saturday between <laughs> Oklahoma and Kansas State. And Teddy and I will both be working that game as well. So we're all going to remain optimistic, guys. Now, uh, I know that you've, you've dove into the tape. For Oklahoma and I know that the opener was against Missouri State and it wasn't much competition for the Sooners but Joel it looks like the same old same old for Lincoln Riley on offense right yeah it, it really does and you know I, I I thought about guys I'm always so effusive of my praise of his offense right I mean you know it right um I, I, I've called him and still believe him to be the best offensive coach in college football um, the offense looks like it's going to be equally dynamic this year, but I want to take a little bit different route because I think this would be maybe fun for your listeners to hear me and some of my criticisms, you know, from week one, if you don't mind. And I'm not meant, sure. you know, I'm not meaning for this to be negative by any stretch, but here's the things. If I was, if I was Lincoln Riley and I watched the Missouri state film as I did, um, I would be really frustrated. I thought that there was more building moments. And Teddy, you remember, like when, when we were all playing, what would the coaches always talk about? Teachable moments, right? Sure. And, and what, which plays are you going to go back to and really focus on to hammer home, you know, the X, Y, or Z detail of the offense? I thought there was a lot of those. And in particular on the offensive line, 
Um, you know, I thought that they could have run the ball a lot better. A couple of the runs broke because of just the sheer athleticism of the running back core. And even though they've been decimated, right, by transfer and injury and suspension, and yet they still throw out there. And by the way, so impressed with Seth McGowan. Can't wait for him. He's explosive. But I, I thought that the O-line could have played better. And I know that they were all banged up. And, and yeah, you know, there's no fans. And there's a lot of excuses. But, you know, Coach Beanbow is not going to sit there and want to hear about the excuses. Lincoln's not going to want to hear about the excuses. I saw a lot of nine guys doing it right, two guys missing an assignment. 10 guys doing it right, one guy misses an assignment. And those are the things that are going to eat at the coaching staff and that they're going to try to go back to the drawing board and get better at. So that's number one. I think that they need to be better running the football. And, and number two, I, I would say as, as great as Spencer was, there were a couple of times when I thought to myself, he's looking for the big splash play rather than just taking what the defense gives. And that's in part due to the fact that he's got amazing arm talent. I mean, the 52 yards in the air that he threw on, I guess it was the second touchdown of the game, back foot. I mean, you don't see that type of throw from a quarterback often, if ever. Uh, so he's, he's clearly got that talent. But with that talent, you, you've got to know when to use it, and you've got to know when to just take what the defense gives. And I get it. It's Missouri State. You feel like every single play can be a big splash play. But there were a couple of times when I thought to myself, boy, that ball's got to come out sooner. So those are the two big things on offense that I would focus on if I were the coaching staff this last week, uh, or two weeks, I guess, rather, uh, is, is consistency in the run game, everyone doing their job, and then really cleaning up this young quarterback and his play and get him to know when to take the shot and know when to take what the defense gives you. That sounds I mean, awfully familiar, yeah. Ted. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with a lot of that. And, I, you know, I've been – not hammered around here, but people kind of laughing at me because, you know, what do you end up 14 of 17 for, you know, a huge amount of yards, four touchdowns. And when people ask me what I think, I was like, eh, he's okay. He's okay. And, and I think that that's just, you know, like he said, Lincoln Riley and his offenses are so good that the bar has been set that high, but you know, I did see some things in there, too. I thought a couple of times he created the pressure on himself in the pocket by not keeping the eyes downfield and, and waiting correct. for some things to develop. But, you know, for a guy in his first start, you expect a lot of those things. And Sure, sure. But here's the thing. You, you, you're going to reach a point, and maybe it's not this week with Kansas State's defense, but I promise you every, every, everyone's down on Iowa State, but I promise you that defense – if if you don't keep your eyes downfield and you start to panic and you make any mistakes, they're going to make you pay for it. So, you know, there's I, no doubt. And and yeah. that's the, well, I guess that's, uh, that was kind of the point of my exercise too, is, is that Teddy, you cannot sit there and pat yourself on the back in this sport. Cause as soon as you do, you're going to get beat. And, and I think Oklahoma fans have seen that from, from this team at times before. Right. And, I, I will I will just tell you that if, if I was Spencer's coach, I would be hammering away on the timing of the offense. Take what the defense gives. Take what the defense gives. That's what Baker and Kyler did such a great job of. Yes, they made amazing throws down the field, and they had, they had great wide receivers to throw to. And, and, yes, it was fun and splashy and strike up the band. But the thing that they did the best was just – 
take what the defense was giving, the little screen route that would go for 20. Uh, on, on second and 10, if you didn't pick up uh, a lot of yards on first down, it was the hitch route to make it third and four, a conversion. Now it's a big play. They were constantly within the offense, taking what the defense gives, and they protected themselves very well. And I agree with you. There's some really tough defenses coming up. It, it, and it's not Kansas State, trust me. I mean, I've watched their film as well. But Iowa State, Texas is better defensively. And so Spencer's got to learn right now. And that's why I think it's imperative that that staff um, and that quarterback room really get to a sense of urgency to, to clean some of those things up. Because, listen, and, and I don't want to sit here and say, like, well, he didn't play great. Because the talent is unbelievable. This might be heresy. But if, if you take away Kyler's physical ability to run and his quickness, Spencer's got the best arm talent of any Oklahoma quarterback dating back to when I was playing, the 2000s. Right, like Bradford was a quick release and he was hyper accurate. Landry had some, you know, he could spin it. Baker could spin it. Kyler could spin it. This kid's arm talent is unreal. Best I've seen in a young quarterback since a young kid I saw throw in practice before the first game that I saw him do. His name was Patrick Mahomes. You know, so like when he cleans up the little things, sky's the limit. Yeah, well, uh, I think a lot of people feel. Similarly to you, Joel. Now, I, I do want to talk a little OU defense and then talk a little K-State with you. But you watched OU a lot last year on defense, and you were always very realistic and fair with your criticisms of them on that side of the ball. And once again, I know it was just Missouri State, but how do you think they looked just in that one performance? It, because it seemed like they were a little more polished. Uh, they were communicating better. I still don't think they have elite talent on the defensive line, especially with Ronnie Perkins being suspended. But it seemed like they looked a little more efficient defensively in year yeah. two under Alex Grinch. And you would expect that in, in what you just said, year two. you know, um, And you're going to have guys that know the system better and are more versed in it, understand the nuances of it, and, and it's a part of them. You know, that at, at the quarterback position, that was always my – main goal I used to write it in uh, you know at the top of my game prep every single week and every installation as I would say make the offense a part of me you know and and think of it as like driving a car you don't think about driving a car you don't think about turning a blinker you don't think about when to brake or when to accelerate or how to turn or when to turn and, and all these things it's just a part of you right you've done it so much well that's how playing the the, the, the game of football needs to be in order for you to play your fastest uh, if you're not thinking and it's just a part of you, you need to play your fastest. So I felt like the OU defense, and maybe it was just in comparison to a really slow um, Missouri State team, I thought they were playing faster than, than I had seen them a year ago because of that communication, because of some of that familiarity and it being a part of them. But I absolutely agree with you on, on the fact that I just I don't see, even on film, the elite talent. So what has, what has to happen for this team to take the next step? I think, and I know he preaches it all the time, so I feel like I'm just preaching to the choir here. It has to come down to turnovers. If you don't have a dominant defense from a personnel standpoint that's just going to line up and stop people all the time, you have to get turnovers, right? You've got to create pressure on the quarterback. You've got to create a situation where that quarterback feels like his internal clock is sped up because when his internal clock is sped up, 
turnovers then happen. He puts the ball in precarious spots. 11 turnovers the last two years is not going to cut it. I believe those are the two worst turnover years in the history of Oklahoma football. Back-to-back, 11 turnovers and 11 turnovers. So that's not going to cut it. If you're not going to have a defense that has three, four, five first-round picks eventually – in particular on the defensive front like like Teddy's teams had, and I had to play, thank you, gosh. But <laughs> what you've got to do is get takeaways, right? And and so from my standpoint, that's what this entire year boils down to, is can they get their hands on the football? Totally agree. And, you know, they preach it and preach it and preach it. Yeah, And that's one of the things about Kansas State. And uh, first to go back, like I totally agree with your assessment of of the players and – I, I kind of think of it as being fluent, you know, in, in a language. Whenever, whenever you think to yourself in a language and the words just come out as you think them, it's the same thing you're talking about as a vehicle being an extension or, or anything else. I think that's well said, and you can definitely see that in those guys. Now, Kansas State is a team that, you know, Kleiman has continued this, but under Coach Snyder, it's the same thing. Do not under any circumstances, turn the football over and win on special teams, and we're going to have a chance to win the game at the end against anyone, no matter who we're playing, if we, if we do those two things. Uh, they've got great special teams. They led the country last year in kickoff return, and I know they weren't great offensively a year ago, but they had one great game, and that was against Oklahoma. And I remember Gabe and I were there – covering the game and I was watching them and we were watching them in, 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 in pregame and, and, you know, just watching some, some last second film on them and the shifts and the motions and the change in personnel, they, it looked like the new England Patriots. And that was, I was talking to Gabe about it before, you know, we, we took the field. We saw about six or seven different personnel groupings in one drive uh, motions and shifts that's the way you mess with a defense that feels like they understand what they're doing. And it looks good against Missouri State that was about as vanilla as you could possibly be. K-State, I mean, that's what I expect. I expect them to try and mess with the eyes and the mind of those defensive players from Oklahoma. Is that what you think we may see from Kansas State? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for them just because they've got those five new starting offensive linemen. I did their game against Arkansas State, and those guys struggled so much. And and that's all well and good, right? Be methodical. Don't turn the football over. You know, uh, a number of different personnel groups and formations. Make the defense think and, and do all that. I think a lot of that has to start with your ability to run the ball, in particular on first down, because if you're not in normal down situation, if you're not in base down football, then that's out the window. And sure. now I'm just trying sure. to rec- recoup, you know, constantly. I'm, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball. Now you're pressuring me. You're dictating the pace of the game. You're dictating from the – I'm saying if I'm the quarterback and you're the defense, you're dictating to me how I have to react, what I have to react to, how do I have to check the protection. So yeah, I think that's absolutely going to be the plan from Kansas State is to try to, to enact that type of, of constant moving and, and – Two tight ends, one tight end, no tight ends, two backs, you know, one back, no back, all, all these different things. Yes, absolutely. In order for that to be effective, you've got to be on schedule. So for, for my money, Oklahoma's key down in this game 
And I think that they're better than Kansas State. I think their defensive line is better than Kansas State's offensive line. Is you got to be dominant on first down. I thought Oklahoma did a great job of being dominant on first down against Texas last year in Red River. That's in large part why I think they sacked Sam Ellinger nine times in that game. And then they went whole months without sacking the quarterback. But in that game, they were the ones dictating the speed and tempo of the game because they were winning on first down. I think it has to happen this week as well. Joel, let, let's say that Kansas State's not able to run it again, right? Like they couldn't run it against Arkansas State. Uh, do you think that Skylar Thompson, I know he's banged up, but, but he is a veteran quarterback. Is he the type of guy that can win a game throwing the football? I, I know Malik Knowles, I, I like his game a lot. I think he's a big threat. I know Kleiman speaks very highly of the Shabaston Taylor kid, and he had a nice game against Arkansas State. Phillip Brooks looks like a Lockett brother, if I've ever seen one. But do you think Thompson can win throwing the football if they can't run it effectively? Um, I don't know, right? Like, I that's fair. I'm trying not to be, I, I'm trying not to be negative, but they, they, they struggled so, they struggled so bad. Uh, against Arkansas State, and I was shocked at it, right? Because, and I think they were shocked at it. And I think part of the issue is that they were really confident that they were going to sit there and be able to run the football, and and they weren't able to do that. And so all of a sudden, they got into a situation where everything was side to side. Deuce Vaughn, their five five hundred and sixty five pound, you know, little spark plug back, had to be a bigger part of the game plan. Skyler was having to make plays that he doesn't normally have to make in the passing game. He overthrew a bunch of, of open guys down the field. I, I don't know if he's the type of guy that can just sit there and beat a team that is clearly personnel wise better than him. I, I guess that's the, uh, that's the best way I can answer that. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he did it. Last year was his game. Like, that's the, like he was making some throws was last awesome. year. It was like, where in the world did this guy come from? So, no, I, I, I agree with that. It's going to be hard for him to just sit back there and pick anyone apart. What about uh, defensively for Kansas State? What have you seen on that side of the ball from them? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again. Defensively for, for Kansas State, what, what yeah. have you seen from those guys? They were they were so shorthanded in the secondary, you know, that it was it was it was really tough to to tell. Now they have some guys back from injury at the linebacker position. You know, you're looking at guys like uh, Elijah Sullivan. He's he's back. Uh, Justin Hughes. They need to play better. Uh, veteran guys that they feel confident about. I felt like early in the game, Wyatt Hubert had a lot of motor to him and then he fell off they were concerned about their conditioning and that certainly played out in that Arkansas State game but it really came down to the fact that they got beat up in the secondary you know all of a sudden Will Jones was was banged up all of a sudden uh, Jaron McPherson was banged up they have a guy named Ryan Hennington and at safety number 17 he was a quarterback last year and switched offense to defense just this winter and then didn't have a spring football or really a summer to get ready for a game and all of a sudden he's out there and then I think what was the shock of all shocks is that Arkansas State just started running it down their throat, and Kansas State didn't have an answer. Um, and, and by the way, this is after 
their guy Jay Adams just started taking it to the that secondary. AJ Parker is supposed to be their best corner, and he couldn't handle Jay Adams because Jay Adams was so physical. Um, they gave up a couple of big plays, some miscommunications. I'm nervous for them in this game because this is not the type of of wide receiver core that you want to see when you're banged up in the secondary and and you're going to have some guys out there that you may or may not trust. You know, I've had people tell me that they might have four scholarship secondary players available for the game. Again, let's hope that we can get to Saturday, but it it doesn't look good for them. And in particular with an Oklahoma team who I, again, I know they've been great in the past guys, this wide receiver group at OU is as deep as I can remember it being in a long time. I think, I think the Mims kid's going to be a star, Joel. Like the the second I and that was the first time I had seen him in person because we we hadn't gone to practice, train camp, anything like that. And to see that kid's speed and once again, I feel like the qualifier of it was Missouri State has to be added to all of them. But that kid can fly. I I think he's the next star at Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, give me all the Marvin Mims stock, all of it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I'm with you on that. And, but here's, you know what the best part about that is he doesn't have to be the guy right now. That's the best part, right? Like you're, you're never going to put too much on this guy. If he pops great. If he doesn't, they're deep, right? I mean, Charleston Rambo is a really good player. I like Theo Weiss. I like Theo Howard. Um, I, you know, Obi is a really good player. I think he gives them a lot out of the slot. So it's not like, you know, some of those programs, they get a guy like Marvin Mims and, and committed, and then the weight of the program goes on their shoulders because it's like, well, we got this guy. He's got to be everything to everybody right from the get-go. And while Mims might be that good, he doesn't have to be for Oklahoma, which is, that again, my favorite part. Uh, I'm fully on board with you. I would, take, I would take all the Mims stock that I could get right now as well, um, and let's – Shoot, for, for OU fans, they're just hoping it turns into Apple stock. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a chance that it may. Um, you know, I, it's such a difficult year, and, like, the, the SEC is about to get underway. And I feel like, you know, maybe someone's going to get upset out of the SEC in week one. We've seen some teams trying to come into the season, and whether it's numbers being down or – not having a, a, a full, thorough training camp with all of your guys. It's just been a weird preparation to the season. So it, it's, it's kind of hard to pick and look at it. But where we are today and knowing what, what we know today, do you think Oklahoma's got a chance to, to make it a college football playoff? Would you pick them right now? And uh, do you think yeah. by the end of the year they've got a, a chance to compete for a, a national championship? Yeah, I do. Um... I would put them in right now. I, I think what I've seen from the Big 12 so far is that this is still Oklahoma's league. I think Texas is really good, and I think probably OU is going to have to play Texas twice like they did a couple of years ago. Um, so, but yeah, I, which then begs the question, right? I think that you you brought it up perfectly. Guys, and I'm sure you know this, right? But since 2001, OU's won 12 Big 12 championships. They've got 206 wins, which is the third most. They've been to every major bowl. They've, I mean, four uh, CFP berths. I think there was three BCS national championship games. You probably should have won two of those. Um, I think they've had some like 17 first-round draft picks, over 40 first-team All-Americans, four Heisman trophies. 
no national championships. Mm-hmm. It's the longest stretch between national championships in your program's history right now. That's, that's crazy to me. So, Teddy, the reason I bring up all of that is I, I don't know if it's enough. And I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, are we talking about a change? Or No, no, no. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Lincoln Riley's stated goal, and I know that, that he is there and hasn't made the jump to the NFL and won't until this happens. So it, it comes down to this. That offense is going to be national championship ready. If the defense can catch up and just be good enough, then they're going to have a shot. If not, and they're a defense that is going to be sitting in the middle of the country, you know, as far as statistically goes, if they're not going to be a defense that forces turnovers, if they don't get upwards of probably 20 or more turnovers in the, in, in the season, if they don't pressure the quarterback uh, to a better degree than they have in the past, then they won't compete for a championship once they get into the playoff. But this is absolutely a playoff team this year. I would be surprised if they're not in the CFP. But at, at some point, it's going to be like, you got to go win one of those games and get yourself to a place where it's a championship coin flip, Um, you know, where you're evenly matched. And listen, I got to tell you, Baker's year, I thought that they should have won it all, right? I mean, you've got your defense forces a field goal in overtime. Baker Mayfield runs on the field. You've got to score a touchdown. And if they do that, I think that they beat that Alabama team. So again, I thought they should have beat Florida in in 08. There's a a lot of things woulda, coulda, shoulda, but their defense has to be better this year, period. That's that's the entire storyline for me in this game is to watch the defense. When I see them potentially next week at Iowa State, when I see them in Red River, that's what I'm going to be watching is, hey, is this defense good enough to allow this offense a chance to go out there and win a national championship? I, hey, I, I'll tell people this all the time. You know, um, Lincoln Riley and this offense is fantastic, and I love what they do. But, I mean, you go back – Oklahoma's always been on the cutting edge of offensive football in, in, in the college world. You go all the way back to the 50s with Bud Wilkinson, obviously the option with Switzer and all the different things they did, the, you know, the, the air raid whenever Stoops came back and we won it in 2000. They've always been on the cutting edge. But every single championship, those teams had, if not the best defense in the country, right there on the edge. Uh, in 2000 – Pitched a shutout against the number one offense in 85. You had Boz and those guys. You go back to the Selman brothers and all the great players they had in the 70s. Like, this is an offensive a, a program that's known for that, but they win championships when their defense is the best in the country. Yeah, I think that that's, that's very, very well stated. And right now they're in a position where they haven't had a top 20 first-round defensive player selected in the draft since Gerald McCoy. Kenneth Murray was the first first rounder since Gerald McCoy. When you look at the teams that are winning national championships, they are churning out first round draft pick defensive players. And I thought when you guys were really competing for national championships at a high level in the early 2000s up to, you know, 2008, uh, that's what you guys were doing at that point as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I can't wait to see this, this team. I, I always love covering this team and, and Alex Grinch is on a mission, and that mission is to, to get more takeaways. And um, I think that they do that, uh, then they've got a shot. Joel, I mean this as sincerely as possible. I really hope we see you on Saturday, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, dude, you you and me both. <laughs> I gotta tell you, um, I I need football like I need air to breathe right now. Yeah. No doubt, man. Uh, we really appreciate the time, um, and hopefully, we see you up there in the press box, man. Yeah, you got it, guys. Have a great night. I, I appreciate you being patient with me. Man, Ted, that was that was some really good stuff from our boy Joel Klatt. I love it. Fantastic. I uh, took a little different uh, approach to it this time, which I thought is really going to give uh, the, the listeners exactly what they want, you know, kind of fine-tooth comb with, with Oklahoma's offense. Yeah, and I, I will say two things stood out to me that Clatt talked about. So he mentioned OU's O-line, and we, we talked about it. We were not impressed with the way they played. And he mentioned Wyatt Hubert. Wyatt Hubert's an all-conference type player. You and I, we both really like that kid. Effort guy. He's got some skill to him. He, and he gave OU a lot of problems last year. Now, one interesting thing about him is, remember, the, the OU's O-line didn't play terribly well the way it was constructed last week. The interesting thing about Wyatt Hubert, he plays over the right tackle. So, last week we saw Adrian Ely play in left tackle. Didn't look terribly comfortable, right? So, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ely playing over Hubert, kick Ely back to the right. Now, we'll see if it's Swenson or the freshman there at left tackle. But I could see OU wanting to get who they feel is their best tackle on who is undoubtedly Kansas State's best defensive end. So I I think Bill Beanbow, that's that's something that I'm sure he's tinkering with this week and working on. And then I thought what he said about Spencer Rattler – having to take what the defense gives him, he's going to have to do that in this game. And when I went back and watched Kansas State, like they played a little more man coverage than I thought they would against Arkansas State, but I do think it had to do with those injuries they had at the safety position that Joel was talking about. So I think they felt better about their corners just getting in some man and trying to protect those safeties as much as they could. But the interesting thing that really jumps out about Kansas State in their zone coverages is their backers, they drop so deep and they take away all those intermediate throws. And they basically dare you to throw the ball underneath and they think they can rally to it and make plays. Like, Ted, they are sprinting in their zone drops. So Spencer Rattler is going to have to check the ball down. He's going to have to. Now, we'll see if he does because the backs are going to be open. And we've already seen those guys. You get a guy like Seth McGowan in space with the ball in his hand, like he can do some pretty special stuff. But this is going to test Rattler's patience. It's going to test his maturity as a quarterback. Like, can you sit back there and just make boring throws for the majority of the game? We'll see. It's like, do you, do you take the driver off the tee and, and get aggressive and try and put it up there close and, and have the, the little half wedge in? Or do you take the smart play, get the fairway, pull the irons out, and, uh, and play it that way? No, it's, I mean, it, that's going to be the, the push and pull. I mean, I know, especially after having success in week one, 
there's got to be a little bit. I got this, man. It's college football. It's not that hard. It's not as not as tough as people say. I got this. And if you try and impress with every single throw instead of just taking the easy check down, complete those all day long, it you you can bite you. But you know, here's the thing. He's got the arm talent, as, as Joel was talking about, to be able to make a lot of those throws. So, let's have to see. He's got to be on his game. Hopefully, it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Big plays right. and some yep. of the underneath stuff. We'll see. All right, Ted. We were kind of we, – we were messing around with the name for this. It was tequila, so we were talking about shot. So, I came up with call your shot, your thoughts, before we proceed. Better. I like it so much better. It's clean. It's easy. It makes sense. And here's the beautiful thing. If we hate it later, we can always change it. You know, that's, that's, a, that's the one thing we've got going for us. That is, that's a really good point. That is a we really have good point. Creative can, control, Gabe. 100% creative control. And Call Your Shot is brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes it's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is good. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. So I put out the tweet. Give us your boldest prediction. Call your shot, Teddy. This is this is what we're going with for now. And the one we like the best came from Jason Moore at JMOU13. And this is what he said. Spencer does not look rattled in his second career start, throws for three TDs and runs for another. OU's D struggles early, but Thompson throws two picks in the second half. One is a pick six for Jaden Davis, Sooners 45, K-State 18. That is a very thorough shot that our man Jason just called. He doesn't leave himself much room for any outs, does he? He called about 10 shots in there, actually. Uh, but I love the confidence and I love the breakdown. I mean, I could definitely see it go, uh, going that way, happening that way. Um, I, here's the thing, though. Like, from what we know right now with Kansas State, I'd be disappointed if they put up 18 points on us. I mean, honestly. Seems like they could be a little undermanned. I mean, Chris <laughs> Kleiman has not been shy uh, with the details that they are, uh, they are struggling to feel the team right now. But, yeah, I chose that one over uh, our buddy Eddie Radosevich, who his, uh, his bold prediction, uh, the shot that he called was, quote, the game is played. Yeah, <laughs> which, which was pretty good. I don't know. I mean, that's uh, that's a losing money bet right now. Probably. I don't. I don't know. You may have to give some to win some on that. Um, 
But I, uh, here's what I love about the original Call Your Shot. I believe 4518 is uh, dead on balls accurate for the current uh, spread, right? 27. So I like it. Pretty good. He's thinking our, – our man Jason Moore is thinking like Vegas. I like it. And I do think Spencer Rattler can have a big day. I mean, with that banged-up secondary, both safeties are – you know, I don't know if they're going to play for Kansas State. So, I, uh, a walk-on quarterback at safety, I, I like I like our wideouts. Yeah, we'll see. All right, little more local college football talk. Of course, Oklahoma State is hosting West Virginia this weekend. Now, don't really know what Spencer Sanders' status is going to be. Haven't really gotten much of an update. But they have to go with Illingworth if Sanders can't go. I, I feel like that's their only choice. That offensive line is going to have to bring it against West Virginia because that front from West Virginia, that's the strength of that football team, and they can't play the way that they played against Tulsa. I, I talked to Neil Brown last week, and he told me something very interesting. He said that this is really the date that they had circled to have their guys ready to go physically when they laid out their plans a few month ago, uh, months ago. Like September 26th was the date they were like, we got to have our guys ready to play and be at their physical peak then. So West Virginia is going to be ready to play. And I know OSU's defense won them that game against Tulsa last week. They're probably going to have to do it again this week, especially if Spencer Sanders can't go and West Virginia's got some solid guys on offense. Now, I don't think they're great on the offensive line. They're certainly a lot better than they were last year. But the Deggy kid looks comfortable at quarterback. Letty Brown and Alex Sinkfield, that's a nice one-two combo at running back. And Sam James and Bryce Ford Wheaton, even though Bryce Ford Wheaton wears zero, and he's very fast, and it's very confusing to see a fast human wear zero, they're both big-time threats at wide receiver. So this is a tough test. I think we're going to learn a lot more about Oklahoma State's defense and what they can actually be. But they can't lose, right, when they're putting Thurman Thomas in the ring of honor? You can't lose when that's oh happening? God. No, you can't. And, you know, listening to, to all the players and, and, you know, West Virginia, the threats and everything that they've got, it's like, they're like the most forgotten about team in the Big 12. I mean, we've been talking about Kansas State with what's happening with their numbers. Iowa State, we watched them, you know, had big expectations, watched them disappoint in week one. Um, you know, we've been talking about Baylor and what's it mean with the Randa coming back and, and Tech, you know, giving up a bunch of points late. Now they're playing Texas. It's like West Virginia is so out of sight and out of mind in a completely different region, especially during the current situation. It feels like they're, they're in a, a completely different world. And you have to like you kind of refocus yourself on West Virginia and they got a really good defensive line. I mean, they got a couple of guys that, you know, would start anywhere in the Big 12 and some other pretty decent pieces in there as well. And I mean, here's the thing about West Virginia. Over over the years, they've had some really good football players defensively on the D-line, uh linebacker and secondary. So, they're going to have some guys now they're lesser known guys because they're not really in this world where they're talked about nonstop. But um, yeah, I mean, we just don't know a whole heck of a lot of, about West Virginia. They look really good in week one. Okay. They should have, um, 
you know, we're probably way harder on Oklahoma State than we really need to be. But at the same time, I mean, if you're barely slipping past West uh, Tulsa, West Virginia has a chance to come in and beat you. So, I mean, we'll see what we get. I mean, I, I fully expect Oklahoma State to take a huge jump forward. I mean, it's one of those things. We've seen a bunch of teams limp out of the gate and look really bad. I think they're going to have a, a, a big jump forward here this week of practice. You know, seeing that crap on film changes a lot of uh, things in practice. So, I think Oklahoma State's going to win this thing. But, boy, you're right. The offensive line against West Virginia's defensive line, that's going to tell the whole story. Yeah, we'll see if Dickey can get those boys right and get those things corrected in time for this one on Saturday. Because hey, if they don't, ooh. Quick question. Um, Chuba Hubbard went for, what, 93 in week one? You think he goes over 100? Not if they play the way that they did. I, I mean, th- if they this play the way they line, did against West Virginia, he'll have 40. So <laughs> they're going to have to play way better to get to the 100 mark. And I, I really wonder, I mean, if Shane Lingworth's got to be the guy, I, I don't think West Virginia's defense in the back end is elite. But for a young quarterback, the best thing that you can have is a good running game. They've got the backs. I mean, L.D. Brown – and Chuba Hubbard, those dudes can go, but those guys can only do so much if, if the defensive line doesn't get blocked. So, Dude, hey, I'm telling you right now, if I'm a defensive coordinator, so I'm, I've got two game plans right now because you got two completely different players in Illingworth and, and Sanders. Uh, and Sanders, you've got an athletic guy that can move around. But really, um, really, how much is he going to move around? Like, if he can go, you know he's going to be hobbled. You know he's going to be limited athletically. Like, what can you really do? That's a good point, but you still – You got to plan for it, yeah. You have to yeah. plan for it, and you have to, uh, you have to change the way you're going to play some of those zone read looks. And you have to change maybe some of your blitzes and, and how hard your guys are going to be coming off the edge. Uh, but you're right. You don't know how effective he is, but – you know, if if he doesn't play in Illingworth, is there? I'm flipping the switch on my my defensive game plan, and I am bringing the pain. And I'm eight man box. I'm load. I'm loading up. I'm going zero on the back end, bringing pressure, making a young guy uh, throw into pressure in his face with a bad offensive line in week one, and try and put it on a spot in in man to man coverage. Now. You that is a risk with a guy like Tylen Wallace, but I mean, as as an underdog, a team like West Virginia coming in, you've got to go out there and try and, and try and win this thing because with a with a quarterback like Illingworth, you you've seen the game plan, Gabe, for a backup quarterback that's got no experience. They're going to throw uh, bubbles. They're going to throw easy stuff. They're going to run it a lot. They're going to run you know screens. They're, they're going to keep everything, the, the routes on the outside. They're going to throw uh, rail shots down the sideline to where uh, you can throw it away from the middle safety and anyone that you can't see. You don't have to worry about spot players underneath picking something off. So it's going to be a super simple game plan, which means defensively you can pin your ears back and just bring it all day long on that guy. And then give that same look back out, and he's going to throw it right to someone. So – I imagine that you're going to see some stuff from West Virginia 
if Illingworth gets the start, look out, man. They're going to they're gonna be bringing the heat, especially with – dude, that, I mean, at, the, at a minimum, what you get whenever you bring pressure is you get a one-on-one with steals every time. You know, you're going to have someone having to block him one-on-one. Yeah, and I was not – I was not overly impressed with Oklahoma State's interior, right. that interior of that offensive line. So I've got my eye on that game. Uh, I certainly got I, – I think Oklahoma State favored by like eight and a half, nine some places right now. I don't know about that. I think that's going to be a close football game that's decided in the last couple drives. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are motivated – by Thurman Thomas getting put in the ring of honor, and maybe they ball out, and those jerseys they're wearing are strong. I mean, so strong. But here's another thing. We'll you, see. So there was some talk, there were some people chatting out there and tweeting and social media about how hard Chuba Hubbard was running. And, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that a guy like that isn't competitive enough to go out there and put his best, you know, every single time. But, you know, whenever they're putting a guy like Thurman Thomas in the ring of honor, don't you up your game if you're going out there to try and impress, if you know he's going to be there? Oh, hell yeah, you do. But it doesn't matter if your offensive line doesn't block anybody. That's true. That's he could only do so much. Yeah, I'm sure Chuba. I'm, I'm expecting a better performance from Chuba. If those guys up front play well, we're going to see. I'm, I'm excited for that game. I think that's going to be a close one. I think Neil Brown's a hell of a coach, and I think West Virginia's improved. And the Daggy kid, he can spin it a little bit. He can. I yeah. think they're going to put up some points on that Oklahoma State defense. That should be a fun one. Now, one more piece of local college football news. After a good showing against Oklahoma State, we thought Tulsa would be able to build on that. Nope. Their game against Arkansas State has been postponed because those kids from Arkansas State are nasty and they all got the Rona. I guess they uh, they took that win over Kansas State and just went with it, partied, and it's like, boys, we're going to end this thing 1-0. Uh, let's just cancel the whole season. We beat, a, we beat a Big 12 team. We're good to go. Yeah, that's uh, – that's, you hate that. It's frustrating. I mean, it could be worse. You could have five games canceled up to this point, like at Houston. But um, you hate that for Tulsa, right? I mean, you want to build on something. You, you know, coaches will never say that you you take a moral victory out of a game, but um, behind closed doors, that's exactly what that was for Tulsa, and probably feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, but no game, twenty twenty. Right. All right, Ted, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup, and that's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. All right, a few bits of news in the college football world. Uh, SEC players 
will wear a device that the NFL is using to help with COVID-19 contact tracing. Uh, you can wear it on your wrist. You can wear it as a necklace, I guess. It, it can be built into equipment for them to wear during practice and games. Seems kind of cool, Teddy. Hopefully that helps them with the contact tracing. That seems to be the devil for college football right now. So I, I guess that's exciting. No, hey, I love the idea because here's what I would do. I would find a way. I'd take it to some nerd and have them take the chip out of it and leave it in my car. And I'd still wear the little wristband or whatever it is around. And it's amazing. I haven't been within six feet of anyone. Can so, you believe uh, it? it? It's like one of the uh, – it's like your Fitbit or whatever where you put it on your dog. You're like, no, I'm getting my steps in. Yeah, no, we're good. Hey, layman, what's that foil wrapped around your wrist? You know, what's, what's going on with all that? Yeah, uh, I, I would be trying to game the system with that thing for sure. Yeah, I think the SEC, they're, they're probably trying to avoid some of the contact tracing issues we've seen across the country. Uh, all right, Notre Dame, Wake Forest got postponed – because Notre Dame, them kids is nasty. They got the Rona. Now it's been rescheduled for December 12th. Houston's game against North Texas got postponed because those kids from North Texas, they nasty. They got the Rona. That's now, what is it, the fifth team? It's like the fourth season opener that's been called off for Dana Holgerson in Houston. Now we're still waiting to see if Dana is going to talk shit about North Texas, the way that he talks shit about Baylor. That whole thing was a little odd. Yeah, and then Baylor's athletic director was like, that was so mean. That Matt was Rhodes the meanest was like, thing ever. What the hell, bro? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's – hey, I, I get it. Holgerson's frustrated. We're all frustrated. I mean, can you imagine having to keep taking that back to your team that, all right, guys, bad news, game's off. At some point, they're just going to say, screw it. You know what? I mean, I, I'm done. I'm locked in. I'm not going out. I'm not doing anything. I'm showing up to practice every single day. I'm like basically living in a bubble, and we're still not getting to play football games. This is the dumbest thing ever. He, I mean, don't you think he'd miserable. lose them at some point that they're going to just say, screw it? You would think, but – Right it about comes, the time they have a game that's on, it's like, uh-oh, that Friday test did not look good for Houston. <laughs> and then they're the ones that failed. They're like, sorry, we can't play. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I, I understand Dana's frustration, but don't take it out on Baylor. I mean, come on. Uh, everyone's trying their best, I feel like, right now. All right, let's look at some of the games this weekend, Ted. We got some good ones. Uh, now, in the Big 12, we're kicking things off with conference play. Iowa State going to Fort Worth to take on TCU. We'll get our first look at the Horn Frogs. Gary Patterson said Matthew Downing going to get the start at QB. We'll see how long that lasts. We'll see if Max Duggan gets in on that one. Uh, Texas going on the road to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Sounds like Tech will have a lot more players for this one than they had against Houston Baptist. And it sounds like that Matt Wells' team uh, full-on layman theory there in Lubbock uh seems like they're good to go they're good to go for the duration now i I like that it seems like it and we'll get our first glimpse of the baylor bears under dave aranda as they host kansas that game's that that game's just gross uh yeah i mean let me know how it goes um I, i know you watched that that kansas um 
uh, Coastal Carolina game into the wee hours of the night. So um, you're on duty with Kansas again with Baylor. I I I am interested to see what Aranda's defense look like. Like yeah. I know it's going to be a three man front, but like, is he going to be pr- bringing pressure from everywhere? I, I'm kind of excited to see what they do defensively, and then the SEC like quietly. I feel like this has flown under the radar. Like the SEC starts this weekend, kind of snuck up on us. Uh, so a couple of the games in the SEC that are interesting, the Lane Kiffin era at Ole Miss begins with Kyle Trask and the number five Florida Gators coming to Oxford. We'll get our first look at that Florida team that has very high expectations. Media voted them to win the East. So, I mean, high expectations. Number 23, Kentucky travels to number eight, Auburn in a matchup that a lot of people think could be very interesting. Now, I don't think either of these teams will factor in the SEC race or anything like that, but Kentucky does have one of the best offensive lines in the country, and Auburn lost so much off that defense, including Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson from last year. Derrick Brown was a beast. And still is a beast. And I don't know how much faith I have in Bo Nix. So uh, I got my eye on that football game. That should be a good one. And then the fighting Mike Leaches of Mississippi State are traveling to Death Valley to take on Coach O and LSU. Not exactly the easiest start for Leach's SEC tenure there. Ted, that, that one could be – that one has all kinds of fun storylines around it. God, those two coaches, I, I mean, if it wasn't for the coronavirus crap, I would love uh, a, a Coach O and Mike Leach joint press conference. Oh I mean, my that God. would be insane. Inject I, it straight he, into my veins. Here's the thing, man. Someone's going down in the SEC right out of the gate. Someone's going down. The way we've seen teams start this year – um, you know, you just don't know who's been able to practice at full strength, who had a good training camp, who is just now getting guys back, who's not going to have some guys. You know, you're just you're not going to get everyone at absolute full strength. I mean, if Ole Miss has had a good couple of weeks and they're locked and loaded against a Florida team that's been missing guys and, and really not in rhythm, they could bite them. Same thing with Kentucky and Auburn. And, you know, I, I, these teams are going to, all of a sudden look like the rest of college football has where you're just kind of scratching your head saying, I thought this was supposed to be a good football team. They don't look that good to me at all. I I think a lot of people are interested in that Tennessee, South Carolina game, right? And you saw, Hey, Pruitt comes out. Any game is interesting, right? That's only a three and a half point spread. I mean, Tennessee is supposed to be a really good team. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt came out this week and said, Garantano's their guy. So I don't know. It always seems like Will Muschamp is coaching for his job like every year. So He I, must be the best interview in the whole damn world because somehow he has failed over and over into five million a year jobs, and it's just – it's amazing. Has no results at all to speak of, but is still getting paid like no other. It's he's supposed to be He's supposed to be a little different than kind of how he presents himself to the media. I, I, I've been told by several people like, oh, guy's hilarious. Guy's a great time. Love going and getting drinks with him. Love going and eating with him. I'm like, wait, what? 
Will Muschamp, they're like, yes, he's hilarious. Like, he's like Steve Spurrier I'm Jr. You, type hilarious. So that's like, what, what I'm saying. He's He's got to be the greatest interview ever. Charmer. Like, whenever he gets in a room with people, it must be like, oh, man, this guy's great. But here's the thing, though. Uh, to the uh, Mississippi State LSU game, dude, I, this is the perfect game for Mike Leach. You're getting a team, LSU, that's ranked way higher than how good they are, right, with all the guys that they lost. I mean, what are they, six in the country right now? They lost I mean, so many players and Joe and Brady coaches. and yeah. Dave Aranda. Right. They've lost – I mean, they're completely depleted from what we saw. And it's going to be everyone's first time in the SEC to see Mike Leach and a win at LSU against LSU. Why it's not a unbelievable feat this year, it looks like one, right? It looks like one. And here's the funny thing. Mississippi State is like a middle-of-the-road to bottom in the SEC. But like their last four recruiting classes that are going to be on campus for Mike Leach right now will average like 30 or 40 spots higher in recruiting than anywhere he's ever been. So he's got by far, it ain't even close, the best athletes that he's ever had running his system. So I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and there's a couple of top 25 matchups. We got Army going to take on Cincinnati, which I think Cincinnati will take care of business in that one. But that should be fun. We've got Louisville fresh off the loss to Miami. They're traveling to take on Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers. We'll see how that one goes. But, Teddy, you mentioned it, and that Mississippi State-LSU game is the game I am most interested in other than OUK State. Because I, I just don't – I have no idea what Tiger Stadium is going to be like with only 25,000 fans. That's going to be weird enough. Like you mentioned, LSU lost all that talent, players, coaches, all gone. Can they just reload? I, I mean, I understand that they recruit at a really high level, but I don't even think Coach O can make it happen, even though apparently their whole team – has pretty much had the coronavirus. So it seems like they'll have all their guys available to them. But the thing I'm most intrigued about in this game is the quarterback matchup. Because what will KJ Costello look like in Mike Leach's air raid? How effective is the air raid going to be? How efficiently will they run it? And then you also have to factor in like, I don't think Mike Leach is stupid. Like he's going to hand the ball to Kylan Hill a lot, right? I when mean, you have a running back like that, either, you have but to he, hand it to him, right? He really challenges that from time to time. But um, yeah, you do. Like, they're, like Kylan Hill's not going to have like six carries. That can't happen, right? He may be the best running back in the SEC. Okay. So I think he is the best running back. He's, well, I guess he's Alabama's got some dudes, but he's yeah, Najee really Harris good. pretty pretty solid. Um, so the 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 common thought would be that Leach is going to go to Mississippi State. He's going to have better athletes than he's had. He's going to have one of the best running backs in in the conference, and he would he, he's got to figure out a way to get him some carries and use that in the offense and. You know, if that's the case, I would expect that there's going to be a lot of Oklahoma stuff 
at Mississippi State. Now, if I'm Mike Leach, who am I going to that that's you know runs my system and my passing concepts, but also has an elite running game? Let's take a look at what Lincoln's doing at Oklahoma and try and mirror some of that stuff. Now, do they have the offensive line to be able to pull some of that off against those, you know, uh, SEC defenses? I don't know. I mean, it's it's very difficult to pull both guys from one side of a of okay. an offensive line to go to the other. So that leads me to an interesting conversation because we've seen that that GT counterplay, right? The bread and butter for Oklahoma. They struggle with it when they get to the college football playoff and they play these big-time defensive linemen that you can't just push around like the guys you can in the Big 12. And I am not going to be surprised. I think Oklahoma, they're going to run the GT counter plenty of times. Plenty of times. I think they're going to start turning into a more outside zone team this year. I, I have my fingers crossed. I think it's going to happen. I think it fits their personnel better. I think it's better in the long run getting elite at that concept instead of the counter play. I know the counter has worked so very well, but when you look at Oklahoma's backs and you look at their offensive line, they should be an outside zone team. I will die on this hill, Teddy. I know that this is a random tangent off Mike Leach in Mississippi State, but Oklahoma should be an outside zone base running attack this year. And I think that that will be, at the end of the year, that will be their go-to run play. If you add up all the concepts that they run, I think Lincoln Riley's going to figure out a million ways to run outside zone, just like he's figured out a million ways to run GT counter. That's just my prediction. That's how I feel. I stand by it. I hope so. Um, But we got some big-ass dudes to be running outside zone. I mean, you got to be able to move. You got to have a, I mean, Creed is a great center, but most outside zone centers are small guys, right? They're usually smaller, shiftier, faster. Um, I just, I'm tired of watching Creed block back 25 times a game. I, I want to see the guy get to do something more fun. It, this, yeah. this all stems for me wanting to see Creed Humphrey get to do more as an offensive lineman. That's, well, here, that, that's, the, that's the origin of this. I'm totally with you. Um, you know, schematically, on, on a chalkboard, there's no way in hell you should be able to run the play that they run against these Big 12 teams. I mean, if you pull the entire offensive line from one side, and don't, they don't even block the edge guy. They, don't, they just leave him there, and the quarterback holds him. Uh, I mean, it makes me want to just, like, fall out of my seat every time I see it. Um, you know, but, like, in the SEC, it's really hard to do that because that big guy can squeeze like hell – he can pressure the quarterback, and they feel good about him. You know, um, he, he squeezes it, you know, but he'll still be able to play the quarterback. He doesn't just sit out there on a, on a massive island. So I'm with you. I would love to see it because here's the other reason, and, and I think this is a big thing. You don't see – there's zero teams in the NFL that run that play. Zero. Zero. And what they want to do – Because it would get someone killed. Oh, my God. But – what they want to do is they want to get their players drafted really high, right? And they want to see their backs, you know, whenever people are evaluating your talent, they want to see backs running plays that they're going to run in the NFL. They want to see offensive linemen blocking plays that they're going to run in the NFL. And you're right. If you're going to take a first-round 
pick on a on a center and all he's doing is is back blocking or, or just holding the zero and everyone's pulling around him the whole time and he, like a hinge or something then I mean, it makes it hard. Like, you've got to forecast a lot more than just say, look at him getting out here on the zone and, and chasing down that Mike backer or, you know, pulling around the and running the loop all the way around to get to him on the outside. So I'm totally with you. I'm not convinced that we're going to see it, but I'm totally with you I'm that telling I you, I feel it. Pistol? I feel it in my bones. Getting I feel it in my bones. I think, I think they're going to be an outside zone team. I, I mean, even Pledger, it's definitely McGowan. Like even Marcus Major, like those are outside zone backs. Mm-hmm. They're not sit there and wait. Like they're not they're not big bodied backs. They're not Trey Sermon. They're not Rodney Anderson. Like let these guys run some zone, Lincoln. I'm just telling you. Okay, now back to that was that was quite the tangent. We yeah, just we, went on. How, how do we get on OU from a Mississippi State LSU game? But there we it, have it. The LSU situation. Has there ever been more pressure on a player? Then Miles Brennan is about to be under. I, I mean, he's not going to be anything close to what we saw from Joe Burrow last year. But you talk about expectations. Like, hey, man, yeah, we're just going to plug in the same offense. Uh, we expect you to throw for, you know, 60 touchdowns, five interceptions. Good luck. Yeah, 75% completion, completion rate. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a terrible situation to step into. It's not like, Kyler stepped into when Baker left, you know, or um, even what Jalen Hurts stepped into. It's it's totally different. It's in a, a way more difficult conference. Um, you know, it it's the equivalent of Lincoln Riley leaving with Brady leaving. I, I mean, right. that's how important he was to their offense. Now, um, you know, they're going to try and keep that same stuff there, but the feel's going to be totally different. <laughs> I happened to flip over and listen to a little ESPNU this week and. As soon as I flipped over, they threw it to a Coach O press conference that, you know, a couple of clips from there. And one of the things he said was that Miles Brennan has a, a, a really strong arm, maybe even has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. And I was like, oh, God, already, dude. You hold can't on, do that to hold on. Guy. You can't quote Coach O and not at least <laughs> attempt the voice. So I'm going to make you like, just, you can just say Miles Brennan. I'm not going to make you say a full sentence, but like, we need your best Coach O. Come on, man. Uh, Miles Brennan, yo, I, he's a strong arm and, you know, he, he maybe throws just good burrow. <laughs> that's not, that's not too bad. That's about all I've got. <laughs> that's not the best I've ever heard, but it's certainly not the worst. I think he called worst. him Joe. I think he called him Joe. <laughs> I think he throws just a good Joe. Um, yeah. No, it, sorry. Any other games that have you interested? I, I really – I'm excited about the Mississippi State LSU. Also, Florida State and Miami play this weekend. I think Miami's going to wax their ass. But Yeah, that's why I think uh, I think Norvell's like, man, I'm going to sit this one out. You guys go ahead. <laughs> I love – they're like, no, no, no. He's been doing that. He's been, uh, you know, doing his head coaching duties virtually. It's like that guy wants no part of this game. He got the Rona on yeah. purpose. No, I'll see you guys later. I'll tell you a game that I'm I'm interested in. Texas and Texas Tech. Ooh. And I know it's 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 the same thing. I mean, Texas Tech, obviously Houston Baptist, they should have pounded that football team. But I don't know, man. I just I I I got a feeling that Texas, they are like as far as like um you know, philosophy and culture, 
in a football program. It's probably the worst in all of college football. They cannot handle success. So I know they went out there. They looked good in week one. They played UTEP. Uh, you know, Ellinger throws for a ton of yards. Defense played well. So I know that this team already thinks they're the greatest thing in the Big 12. Oh, we're just going to cruise to a college football playoff, baby. This is it. Texas Tech, they're not any good. Barely got past Houston Baptist. And they're going to go out there, and the Bowman kid is going to rip it all over the field to 6'6", Vasher, and they're going to find themselves in a dogfight late. At least that's my hope. Yeah. I And I don't know what Lubbock with limited capacity is going to be like. That's – that's it's already weird enough to go play in Lubbock. Now it's going to be even weirder. I mean, that's and it's not easy. I mean, going on the road right now is a task. You have all the testing and all that, and then you've got these weird protocols. I saw Tom Herman said he was like, "Yeah, you know, normally on Friday, like we eat dinner as a team." He's like, "No, no, no, we're not doing that. Like we're giving them a meal and say go eat in your room and stay away from everyone." I was like, "Yeah." So it's. It's going to be interesting. I think Texas is going to be fine in that football game, but I do think that we're going to see a better version of Texas Tech because they're going to have more of their guys. They've got a bunch of guys back, especially defensively in the secondary. So it should look a little better for Matt Wells. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments, and let's start with our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. Tighten it up, you know. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection all right ted who do you have as your winner of the week uh i know we don't have uh football guys talking basketball anymore so i'm going with jamal murray dude he has been unbelievable and that bomb that he dropped late in that game against the lakers whenever they were trying to make a run to separate was just lethal it looked like the Nuggets lost their powers. Like it looks like it was it yeah. was like Space Jam. They just kept turning it over and you're like, "Oh my gosh, they're going to blow this lead." And LeBron was looking strong, but dude, Jamal Murray, that guy is I I know he's not the best defender in the world. Like I get it, but that guy is an absolute stud. Do you guys he realize found, he found he's that, 23 years old? I know, and he found that level of confidence and I mean I didn't hear – I mean, I'm not saying that, it, it, like, NBA aficionados weren't talking about him, you know, all year. But, like, for me and a lot of people, whenever the bubble stuff rehappened or restarted, he came out of nowhere, shot out of a cannon, and everyone's like, who the hell is this guy? And he's just dropping all kinds of crazy games. So he's got that confidence about him. It reminds me a little bit of what, uh, you know, we saw from Mitchell at Utah whenever he started playing yeah. really well. So, dude, I just – I thought that was cold-blooded. I thought it was great. And, dude, they're, a, they're an Anthony Davis missed game winner away from being up 2-1, man. It's a fun series. And the, uh, the same thing with the Heat and Celtics. I mean, we're recording – it's halftime and it's a close game between the Heat and Celtics. Like, 
That's an old school Eastern Conference matchup. I love it. It's fun. It's fun. The NBA, and I know football's going on, so we're paying a lot less attention to the NBA. But yeah, these are going to be two really damn good series. And I just love watching Jokic so much. It, it just it gives hope. And I know he's seven feet tall, but it gives hope to all the chubby kids out there. Make you think that you can make it big time with an awkward game, shooting floaters, shooting all kinds of weird one footers. It's he wasn't even that good the other night, and that was a hell of a win. Okay, now you got me. You know how much I love the NBA. I try to avoid talking about it on, because it's football season now. But dude, how much better has Jeremy Grant gotten? Oh my! Like when you talk oh. about his offensive game, like his offensive skill set from last year in Oklahoma City to where he's at. And this is not just because he played a hell of a game last night. It was a huge part of the reason that they won game three. Like, I mean, he can put the ball on the floor now. He, his shot is much smoother, much quicker. He's got fadeaways. I mean, he, his game, his offensive game progressed so much, and he took a lot of advantage, you know, full advantage of the quarantine time. He looks incredible. Yeah. It makes you no wonder kidding. what the Thunder would have done if they just would have kept him. No kidding, Gabe. Everyone that leaves Oklahoma City uh, gets better whenever they're gone. Uh, do I need to go down the list? Oladipo, um, gosh, uh, I mean, everyone gets better. Hell, Jeremy Lamb has gotten way better, okay? <laughs> so everyone gets better whenever they leave. It's amazing that a guy as freakishly athletic as Jeremy Grant may actually grow his game whenever he's involved in the offense instead of going down the, the floor and standing in the corner and maybe shooting a three every five quarters. It's amazing. Gosh, he looks good. It makes me sad how good he looks. I'm happy and for him, don't get me wrong. fly. That dude Oh, my God, he's so athletic, fly. and he's a great – like, I'll say this. He flops athletically. <laughs> Like, I know that sounds so stupid, but he's the most athletic flopper. It's a gift. Oh, man. All right, Ted, who do you have as your loser of the week? Okay, so let me paint you a picture. Okay, so in a typical season, this year's obviously different. Gabe, the sideline at Oklahoma, you've got, you've got recruits there. You've got ex-players have shown up to watch the game. You got JRs down there walking the sidelines with the black cowboy hat. Uh, you've got doctors. You've got, you know, administrators are down there and, and laughing and enjoying the game. And you've got about uh, five yards from the sideline to a brick wall. Okay. And TV has to find a way to get a sideline shot in a big game. So they've got this big apparatus there and there's nowhere to put it and it can barely drive. So you could understand in that situation if a guy comes flying out of bounds and runs into the, the mic truck or whatever you want to call that thing or the camera uh, vehicle. How in the hell in an empty stadium with a massive sideline with nobody on it do they <laughs> park that damn truck right on the goal line you know, it's not like we ever see guys go flying into the corner of the end zone to try and get to the pylon. They park that thing right there on the field and almost kill one of the best safeties in the NFL and an official, a referee, 
uh, almost broke a leg too. How okay. does that happen? For those of you that don't, for those of you that did not watch Monday Night Football, a Raiders oh, yeah. player I goes. To, I forgot to uh, leave out my losers, Jonathan Abram. Sorry. Yeah, That's Jonathan Abram. Uh, what's he doing with those sleeves? Are those cool? Do you see his sleeves? He's going with uh, the floppy sleeves at safety. He's got like the Aaron Rodgers sleeve going. Now, he is really good, so he can great. do what he wants. And that dude comes down hell, downhill and brings it. But, dude, I thought he was dead. He hit that thing hard. I, I think we all were move. like, oh, because he just laid there still. I was like, no way. I didn't just watch one of the best young safeties in the game die by hitting the booger mobile. And then he jumped up and ran off, and I was like, hmm, I think he was thinking lawsuit there is why he was laying down, just to prove a point. Like, Can why my the hell career is be here? over? Could I just not play football anymore and somehow get $100 million from this? But you know what I'm saying? How in the world does that happen? And, and the best part about that is the other guy, so they put that little thing, um, it's, it's this lightweight, I don't even know how to describe it. Do you, okay, this is weird, but do you remember – did you ever have to jump rope in PE? Sure. Like, and there were these little plastic things like on the outside counter? of the jump rope. On the jump rope, no, like there's these little things. They're like segments around the entire jump oh, rope. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So imagine taking all of those off the rope, and it's like just a lightweight, like thing. And they put that on the front of that little cart. And did yeah. you see the other guy from the Raiders? It ended up around the guy's neck. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get out. I did see that. Yeah. And so like, the, yeah, the well, thing that, doesn't that hit people. Good. This tiny little wire thing is going to keep people from smashing into the – it's uh, unbelievable to me. I can't imagine how that happens. And you know how coaches are. Like, in practice, if guys go running out of bounds and there happens to be something sitting there, like, they will light people's ass up. Oh, my it God. It looks like one of their players is going to get hurt. What do you think Gruden – and I mean, even, even Peyton on the sideline are saying to the NFL about that tra- – because there's no restrict – like, there's a, a more room than there's no one there. have. There's no, no one. one there, literally. Not even the owner was there. And I, I assume that some of the people that John Gruden worked with when he was on Monday Night Football still run Monday Night Football. Can you imagine oh, yeah. that call they got after the game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Calling the crew chief over there. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. That's, that was a good performance by the Raiders. I did, I did not think the Saints would miss Michael Thomas that much. And I, I, had the, I had the Raiders covering the five and a half. I thought it was going to be like a field goal or less game by New Orleans, but Raiders are good, man. Yeah. Drew Brees, man, starting to show his age a little bit. That arm's looking a little shot. A little shot, a little shot. It didn't look good. Uh, that was not a good interception, which was a huge play in that football game. All right, Ted. Uh, my winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and cable boxes so it looks great. My wife doesn't get mad at me with all the stuff that I have. And I can control every TV in my house from my phone. And my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. All right, Ted, my winner of the week. Now, I almost went, just because I was so proud of him, I almost went with – 
the BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson, and his teammates because he came out and said that they had a gambling night, and that's how some corona spread throughout that team. And I was like, look at these BYU guys having fun. Like, hell yeah, guys. That'll wait. That'll, I Isn't bet you, that – is like, that against the code? BYU, isn't that like grounds for dismissal from the university? Don't they kick people out for stuff like that? I, we've heard some of those stories throughout the year. Um, but, but what happens if Safety they're drinking? Safety numbers. They can't kick the whole team they out. Can't, they can't kick the <laughs> starting quarterback out. And I, there must have been a lot of them. But, yeah, I was like, ah, you know, those guys having fun. Good for them. But winner of the week, it's got to be Billy Donovan. It's got to be the new head coach of the Chicago Bulls. It feels gross just saying it, but it seems like a really good fit for Billy D. Now, I'm sure he is going to be making a shit ton of money, and that makes everything better, and it's going to be a long contract, what, four or five years probably, something like that. But the Bulls just had Jim Boylan, who by all accounts – is the exact opposite of a player's coach. Like, just didn't yeah, so get it. So much so that it sound, it's shocking how he ever got the job. It, it makes no sense. Like, but just a grinder, right? And clearly just doesn't understand how to deal with professional athletes. Billy Donovan is a player's coach. We saw how he was able, you know, even though they may have not listened to him, he was able to work with Westbrook and Durant he was able to work with CP3, and that, I mean, that duo seemed to really mesh well this season. And when you look at how Billy Donovan operates, I mean, he builds relationships. He develops guys, and I think that's what they're expecting in Chicago. And they got some guys. I, I know that they haven't been good. They have not been a good basketball team, especially over the last three years. Like, I understand it, but... Laurie Markkinen, if he stays healthy, he can be a solid player. I think everyone thinks that Kobe White is going to be I like him. a very good – I mean, an all-star level caliber player here in a couple years. I mean, you look at Zach Levine. Maybe he can take Zach Levine to the next level, you know, kind of tell him how Durant did things, how Westbrook did things, how Chris Paul did things. I mean, limit some of those mistakes. Maybe get Zach Levine to take some better shots. But harness that athleticism, those gifts, and then they can attract free agents. I mean, we, we love Oklahoma City. Uh, I love Oklahoma City maybe more than anyone, right? But you're going to get more guys to go play in Chicago. That's just the truth. And with what Arturis Karnaschovas is doing, I, he did a really good job in Denver. We're still looking at the team. He had a big... You know, he had a big role in assembling. We're still watching him play. So I, I know that a lot of people think with all the picks and everything for the Thunder and, you know, building around Dort and SGA and Baisley in the future, like, but this is not a bad spot for Billy Donovan. And it's a really cool city, except for in the winter when it is absolutely miserable. But he's going to be getting paid a ton of money. He's got to be the winner of the week, Ted. I mean, that's just a great spot. He, he didn't have a job for like four hours. Right. Well, so let me ask you this. This is the way my mind works. So if you're calling Billy Donovan a winner, 
Does that mean that ipso facto you're calling Sam Presti a loser? I am. <laughs> now I know they offered him the two-year deal. I don't know. We we don't know what the dollar figure was on that, but yeah, I think that uh, Karnishevis. I think is how you say it. Karnishevis. I think it's Karnishevis. I don't know. It's hard to say, but we'll call him Arturis. Uh, very well respected, but. I mean, he said he reached out to Billy Donovan immediately once the Thunder and him announced that he wasn't going to sign back with the Thunder. And, like, Arturis was like, hey, you're my guy. Like, I want you to be my guy. Let's build this together. And I just – I got something I, interesting I want... that just popped into my head. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know what I saw last week? You know, Bob Stoops has two condos up there in Chicago. They're right next door. He had one. The one next to him went for sale, and he bought it. He just sold it last week. He's boys hmm. with Billy Donovan. Hmm. What do you think? Huh? Conspiracy theory? Should we just call him and ask? <laughs> yeah, I'll text him. Hey, did you sell your uh, condo in Chicago to Billy Donovan? That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, it, well, so, yeah, sure, true. We start that's the conspiracy. It started that, here. That's it. Started here. All right, Ted, my loser of the week. I thought about doing Deion Sanders because I have no idea what he's doing. Uh, why he would take the Jackson State job instead of just being Deion Sanders and not having to grind. And I have no. I still am so confused about what's going. I thought he worked at Barstool. Like, and it well, seems like he's still working at Barstool. Like, I'm so I confused. I think he is because he essentially uh, just linked Barstool into what they're doing at Jackson he put an, State. He put an email out there. It was like, yeah, just email Jackson State at BarstoolSports.com. I was like, what? What is happening? So that should be it, – it's going to be entertaining at the very least. We'll see if uh, he gets accused of fraud again or whatever happened at that school. What was it, like Prime Academy or whatever it was called? That was weird. But not even Dion and that interesting situation at Jackson State could outdo the loser of the week because the loser of the week has to be the Los Angeles Chargers team doctor that punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. Okay, we were so confused because there were no details about why – Tyrod mysteriously didn't play. They said a chest injury in warm-ups, and he was unavailable against the Chiefs, and we got Justin Herbert. But the guy punctured the starting quarterback's lung with an injection needle. And listen, I understand nothing is 100% in medicine. Makes me squeamish thinking about it. Being a doctor is hard. But you just can't puncture the lung of the starting quarterback. I know it's one of the risks of the rib injection. Like, I understand. And, hey, kudos to Tyrod Taylor. He was about to play with a couple cracked ribs. That dude is tough. He's one of the best teammates I've ever had. Never questioned that dude's dedication. Like, he grinds. He works. Weight room, meeting room, practice. The dude is a grinder. Hell of a guy. But – he got stabbed in the lung by a needle. He ends up in the hospital. Oh, my and God. I, maybe the doctor's just a Justin Herbert fan. I don't know. I, I don't know, but that is unbelievable 
Now, it is impressive what Tyrod was trying to do, but the fact that he is now out indefinitely because the guy deflated his fucking lung. It's unbelievable. It's unreal. I, mean, I, I, I used to get a, a shot, like a numbing shot in, in my shoulder. Have you ever had, had that? No, I've never had to have any. I didn't. I didn't play enough in the NFL to actually get hurt, so I. I never really had any so, injections or anything like that. Here's the thing: they take a needle that it's longer than this. It's longer than this ink pen, and they take it into into the top of your shoulder, and they put it in one spot, and they like they move it all around the joint. It's just going all over the place. They Ugh. just move it all over, so. It, I mean, it's like it's seriously like eight inches long. It's it's crazy. I'm guessing that's the same thing that the doctor was doing, trying to get it because he had the the cracked ribs, trying to get it all around that area uh, with the the needle moving in and out. Oh gosh, it's just it's it's horrible to think about. Now it's I hey, I was I, I I think we all were confused because Anthony Lynn was like, no, Tyrod's our starting quarterback, and everyone was like, well, Justin Herbert played pretty good. Like, I mean, what's the deal? But Kudos to Anthony Lynn for sticking by his guy because clearly he knew what happened. We didn't. We are like, why is he acting like that? Why is he being so mean about Herbert? And then it comes out that Tyrod got poked like a balloon at a birthday party. I was like, oh, my Nuts. It's, Horrible. It's unreal. All right, Ted, let's move on. And it's Thursday. So we are going to wet the beak. And Wet the Beak is brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build you your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He has been great. He also has built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. All right, Ted, let's wet the beak with a little Thursday night football. And this seems like one that is a game that is going to just get weird. We've got Fitz Magic versus Minshew <laughs> Mania. Let's go. Fun fact, the Dolphins and the Jaguars are the two youngest teams in the NFL. And this is the perfect type of matchup for a Thursday night football game, in my opinion. We're probably going to get a lot of facial hair discussion on the broadcast <laughs> because Fitzpatrick and Minshew have been trading facial hair jabs in the press. It's, it's been great. Now, I think it would be a lot more fun if Brian Flores would just start Tua, but that doesn't appear to be happening anytime soon. So we saw Fitzpatrick last week against Buffalo played pretty well for the Dolphins, uh, almost won that game, but that's secondary for Miami. They are banged up, and Josh Allen shredded them. Josh Allen looked good. Ooh, he does. He's, he he's starting good. to play some football now. But 
I could see Minshew having a big night with some of the Dolphins' issues at corner. Uh, I just I, – I don't really know about this. It's a short week. I think Minshew's kind of good. He's one of those guys where you, where you sit back and you go, okay, is this guy good? And I think the novelty of him and the mustache and the hair and the headband and all that stuff, I think it's kind of going away and people are realizing, like, he's a pretty good player. So I know a lot of people thought the Jags could be the worst team in the NFL before the year started. They definitely are not the worst team in the NFL. Hello, Jets. But – we will see Miami get Devontae Parker back at wide receiver. The Jags are favored by three as we were recording this. And I like Minshew. I do. I do. I can't root against the guy. So give me the Jags. I'm laying the three. Give me the Jags. I mean, he's been, he's been really good. Uh, what's he got? He's got six touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, no big deal, completing 75% of his passes so far. So he's playing really good. I, I honestly think that uh, the Jags and the Dolphins may be the two most underrated teams in the NFL. Um, now, I'm not saying that either one of them are great or going to threaten to win their division, but I think they're underrated. Uh, I like Jacksonville. They've they've all of a sudden found a running game. Uh, what is it? The the uh, the Robinson kid has come yeah, in. Looked really uh, good. He looks really good. Uh, makes some, talked it, about. It makes sense now why they got. And I know Fournette's looked pretty good for Tampa, but at, or at least he did last week. But it kind of makes sense when you see the Robinson kid run. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand why you got rid of Fournette. Right, at that price point, you know, exactly. uh, for what you're getting, I, I think it's it, it was a really good move for them. So, I'm with you. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Jacksonville. I like their defense a little bit better, and uh, I I think it's gonna be a really fun football game. I do. And you know, last Thursday was fantastic. I never thought I was gonna say that. Uh, you know, watching two winless uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland team play on a Thursday night. Uh, would be exciting, but it was, and I was amped up for it. And Jags Dolphins again, thinking that I would never be amped up for this game. I am. I'm. I'm excited. I think there's a lot to watch there. I'm just curious where Didi Westbrook is. He's been inactive two weeks straight for the Jags. Suspicious. It's not a good deal. I mean, what he missed time with like a bruised shoulder through training camp, but I don't know. Yeah, it does not look good for for Didi Westbrook. Yeah, one thing about that, you, you mentioned the Jags' defense. The only thing that they're not doing well right now, they're not getting to the quarterback, right? Two sacks through two games, and that's not going to get it done. It's going to be very difficult to win games if you can't get pressure on the quarterback. If you can't get pressure, if you're Josh Allen, the defensive end Josh Allen, not the quarterback Josh Allen, <laughs> if you can't get Brian Fitzpatrick on the ground, then I, I don't know who you think you're going to get down in this league. Hey, let me ask you a question. So we both agree that Jacksonville is better than we thought they were going to be. They're one and one right now. Um, who the hell is going to draft Trevor Lawrence? Who's going to be the worst team this year? Because whenever you look at the teams that are going to be bad, like Cincinnati, well, they've got Joe Burrow. The Dolphins, uh, the Jets, they've got Tua and Darnold. I mean, so I, I think right now, the Jets look like the worst team in football. 
This is what I would do. And I do not think Sam Darnold is the problem. Ooh, did you I, see that throw? Oh, my gosh. Rolling out, just back to his left, back to his right. That's one of the craziest right. things I've seen, man. I mean, the wide or the, you know, the end zone view of that, God, that's a beautiful throw from Darnold. But how about this? Sam Darnold, I think a lot of people would want him on their team, right? Why not draft Trevor Lawrence and then trade Darnold and see what you can get for him? Right At that point, Adam Gase is going to get fired, probably. You're going to have a new head coach anyways. Uh, I'm just saying, sometimes you I mean, just got to cut your losses, right? I, I hear you, but... But Darnold's not the problem. Darnold's not the problem, but we don't want Trevor Lawrence going to the Jets, dude. I mean, come on. I don't want anyone playing for the Jets. I know. I don't either, but I, I just, if it's not, I, I don't know who it's going to be. Like, if it's not Jacksonville, well, what it other could be, crappy team is looking for a quarterback? Carolina. I know they got Teddy yeah, Bridgewater, but he's, he's a placeholder. Come on. And let me tell you something. As a very disgruntled fantasy owner of Christian McCaffrey, I think this Ooh. whole thing stinks to high heaven. I saw him jogging around on the sideline with that high ankle sprain he's going to miss four to six weeks with. This is crap. They're tanking. Quick question, and I assume everyone listening cares so much about your fantasy football team. What uh, – what number overall did you draft McCaffrey? Number one. Oh. <laughs> number one I overall. mean, it's, it's who you had to go with. Like, don't get me wrong. But. Well, if it wasn't him, it was Saquon Barkley. Those two guys went one and two and probably 90% of the leagues out there or more. Sad for Saquon. ACL yeah. out. Brutal. I don't know, Can't dude. Stare I mean, at those thighs all game. Wait, what? I know, but I hey – you know this, man. Once you start cutting on the body, you never know how it's going to bounce back. And he's starting to have a little bit of a history now, Gabe. Ankles, now the knee. It's all that power in those quads. Yeah, maybe slim down. Maybe squat less, Saquon. Do you ever think about that, bud? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. That is a bummer, though. He's so fun to watch. Yeah. All right, Ted, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment. And that is Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And Keeping It Local is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools reopen in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one -one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked in addition to athletic programs and clubs. Big win over Booker T on the gridiron. Yeah. No big deal. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Now, I saw it all over social media. I read the article in the Oklahoman. Big time controversy in your neck of the woods, Teddy. Mm -hmm. Norman. Well, it's been a rough couple of months for us down here. Norman is angry. Uh, the Norman City Council voted this week to give the city of Norman the authority to fine violators and prohibit, quote, indoor and outdoor social gatherings on public or private property which exceed 25 people. This stems from some of the videos that came out from last game day in Norman. So basically – 
if it's 25 or more, right? Am I understanding this correctly? You're supposed to wear a mask and supposed to socially distance. Am I, once again, this doesn't affect me. I live in Oklahoma City. I don't live in Norman. Now I do have to go to Norman to work, but I don't really worry about what to do during the games because, well, I'm working the game. <laughs> this affects you, Ted, not me. Well, Are people I mean, just really mad because people seemed really mad on the internet, like really mad. There's or now on what side? Uh, because both sides were mad. You had the mask shamers who were really upset with people, and then you have the other side uh, saying it was everyone. Yeah, it was everyone, everyone was angry. There like, is no, uh, there was there was ground. no middle ground. It was it was just straight up anger on both sides. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. The the city council voted they're going to give the city of Norman the authority to to find violators. I I don't know how they're going to enforce this. I don't know. That was why. my first question like are they going to go door to door on game day and be like, "Hey, you got people in there?" Or are they going to go to houses like where there's a bunch of cars out front? Like, is I, I I'm just curious. Once again, it's not going to affect me, but it's going to affect a lot of people that listen to this podcast. And I'm just wondering, like, like how is this going to get enforced? Like, go, like what are we talking about here? It it will not get enforced. It's not going to get enforced. I mean, it. If if you're going to have a if you're going to be giving tickets on private property for 25 or more people, you're going to have to you know you can't allow gatherings of 25 or more on like commercial property or public property on campus corner. You know it's just it it is it's posturing. I think it's probably then saying hey if we put this statute in and say we're going to find people that. Maybe we'll get people uh, making some different choices out there, but you know the police aren't going to enforce it. I don't but, know if people have followed the uh, city council and the police in Norman, but that uh, relationship could not be any worse than it is right now. Cops aren't going to. Well, uh, I saw, it. and I, I also saw it was like it could be a fine from fifty to five hundred dollars. I was like, guys, that's a big difference in fine. Like. Like fifty, yeah. okay, you know that's I. I don't want to lose fifty bucks, but five hundred bucks. Uh, whoa, you you had a mask on, but it was under your chin, and that's a two hundred dollar fine. You know, if if you don't have a mask on at all, it's five hundred. So no, I don't know. It's not going to be enforced. Um, I don't even know that they like. I know the city council voted on it, but that doesn't mean that it's like still something that they could technically do to a private citizen on their own property. So I, it, there, there's one thing I'm definitely sure of. And that's that all the students at Oklahoma, they will abide by this. They will sure. not get together in groups of 25 yes. or more. Like there's no way that happens. I know one thing about college kids. They usually listen when you say they can't do something, that t- <laughs> nothing could go wrong. Right. It's probably now they're going to have the biggest party you could ever imagine. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to go on. I don't think it's going to be enforced. I know the city council voted for it, but that doesn't really mean anything. The city council could vote to send a man to Mars tomorrow, but that's not going to happen. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm anxious to see how it plays out, though. I'm here to watch. Sign Listen. me up. 
as, as a person who it doesn't affect at all, I saw it and I went, this is going to be fascinating to see. Norman, over the, the last six months, the city of Norman needs a reality show. It's been the, I mean, it's pure entertainment, the whole thing. It's, uh, it's definitely reality worthy. Yeah. It's kept me entertained. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm just watching all the madness here from Oklahoma City. I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah, you guys are getting weird down there. All right. All right, Ted, episode 45 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. We'll be recapping, hopefully, the OU Kansas State game. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400, and you can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375 from 3 to 5. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one.